Welcome to the T2 Hubcast. Join Martin, Dave, Spencer and guests as they discuss all things personal and professional development. The T2 Hubcast, brought to you by the People Performance People. So welcome back to the T2 Hubcast with me, Martin Johnson. And today I have a special guest on the show. It's uh, none other than Andy Steele. Andy, welcome. Hello, Martin. So Andy and I go back, uh, how many years is it, Andy? Uh, 20, <laughs> 20 years, 25 years, maybe? 96, 97, I would say it was, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I joined up in uh, 99, so that's when oh, I right. first met okay. you, for sure. But we say joined up because Andy and I uh, first met in the Royal Navy, um, like I say, probably 99, 2000-ish. So a good 20 years ago, uh, Andy is whole born and bred like myself. Um, Andy is the founder of the Pat Foundation, which has been running now for about 15 years. So has taken up the majority of his uh, work outside of the military. Uh, Andy lived in, uh, in the Far East for a number of those years where the Pat Foundation planted how many trees? Was it three million, Andy? That's right. Three million trees across Asia. Three million trees across Asia over 15 years. So a wonderful cause and a wonderful setup. Recently, Andy's moved back to the UK and the Pat Foundation is a registered UK charity and he's embarking on a brand new project back here in his hometown of Hull uh, called One Hull of a Forest. And the idea and premise behind it, Andy, I think you could do a miles better job than me. So I'm going to let you do that in a second. But um, welcome to the uh, T2 Hubcast, Andy. It's been some while we've been talking about getting you on and, and having a good old chat about all things, you know, forestry and the environment. But also, I think a couple of things we're going to throw into this conversation is, you know, you feel passionately about getting veterans working and transitioning into uh, civilian life. Uh, we've done it ourselves, um, but it's not easy for everybody. So trying to combine that with doing great in the world and for the environment uh, and also supporting, you know, in the modern days, it's become more apparent, but supporting mental health and well-being as well. So you believe that the three are intrinsically linked. We're going to discuss them on this podcast. But just before we do, Andy, uh, just give us a little bit more of an intro into what I've already said around why you went into this sort of space after the military, why you feel passionately about it and what is the One Hull of a Forest Project aim to achieve? Yeah, sure. Um after leaving the forces, uh, I was looking for a job and literally had a phone call asking if um, I'd be interested in a position out in, in Sri Lanka. And I did. I took it. And it's there that I was polluting the atmosphere, working as the maintenance uh, deputy maintenance manager for a power station. And I was given an opportunity to move over to the forestry sector, which, which I did and realized that quite easily you can have a benefit commercially generating revenue from um, the forest, but also uh, a massive effect on the environment. And a lot of traction came from that. Oh, so it's uh, all right, Andy. We're going to keep rolling, Andy. I think your phone went off there. You might have to set the sound down a little bit. Right. We're, still, we're still in COVID-19, so we're on, our, <laughs> we're on our mobile devices. So, yeah. yeah, carry on, Andy. Go for it. So uh, I relocated to Thailand where I was working in the forestry sector, but also realized that we could have a benefit from helping the environment, but also helping people. And a group of 15 friends took a trip, a seven-hour journey, actually, to the Burmese border to plant trees at an orphanage. And what we'd done is 
plant trees that would give that orphanage economic value from the teak trees that we planted, but we also planted a fruit orchard that would give them food. And at that point, I realized that you know, it really could have a dynamic effect and, and where there's uh, attraction, you do get traction and people were interested in what we were trying to do. So that transpired to planting 3 million trees, not personally, but I might add, across Asia, um, working with some large-scale multinational companies, blue chips. And then I came back to the UK last year and saw the announcement around the Northern Forest and how we as an organisation could get involved with the government's initiative to plant 50 million trees between Liverpool and Hull not along the M62, which people seem to think. It's not a Sherwood <laughs> forest. <laughs> and, and that's where the, the One Hull of a Forest project was born. Um, people don't realise that Hull is the least forested city in the UK, with uh, I think it's 2.4% woodland cover against the national average of 8.7%. So I was reading between the lines, seeing where we could fit, motivating people um, as well as companies to get involved. And that's then broadened the scope as we discussed martin and to mental health and there's a number of different rabbit holes that we were going down now which are, are fantastic as a as a veteran as you are you, you understand the challenges people face leaving the forces and it's interesting how forestry can have an effect on that yeah absolutely Andy. and i think that's a great story it's a great um journey that you've been on and i think um so one of the things we're going to do for this conversation then is let's 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 try and intertwine three different uh, subject matters into one if we can. I, I, I really want to know more about the forestry project because I think that's a, a staggering statistic that you shared there around Hull uh, and how uh, it's the least forested is that the right word forested uh, city in the in the country and um, and we know that that. Um, nature and trees especially have a direct uh, correlation to mental health and well-being and mood um, and we know that also um, there's veterans or there's ex-military personnel coming into civilian life who struggle with the transition in terms of knowing what they want to do or what they can do and where they can serve so I think you're trying to if I'm correct in saying Andy you're trying to bring them together because I think the One Hull of a Forest project presents the opportunity to do something good in the environment, in the UK, certainly in our region, uh, and make a difference. But it is directly connected to improving mental well-being and mental health. And it's also potentially an opportunity for uh, veterans who are leaving their forces to, to be able to, you know, uh, contribute and have a cause. Uh, was that, have I explained that correctly? You have. Um, I think... What I realised coming back that whilst our, our mandate has been to plant trees and there's a, you have a forestation and reforestation. The forestation is planting trees on new areas. Reforestation is replanting old areas. Um, the focus was on the environment, uh, biodiversity and creating wildlife habitats. And whilst that's brilliant, um, I realised there's quite another level of uh, or layers we could delve into. And the first one was understanding that exposure to green spaces and getting involved in green activities has a positive effect on antisocial behavior. And that ended up with us working with the Humberside Police Early Intervention Team and fascinating how you can engage these kids and hopefully put them on the right path whilst also reducing these antisocial behavior issues. That in itself was fascinating and it led me to see, right, there's a lot more to this. Um, in Japan, they have forest bathing parks where they 
you know, you realize that people go to them from living in a built up environment and a concrete jungle. It's a stressful environment. And they, as you will know yourself, you get out amongst nature and it does have an effect on you. It really does have a calming effect and relaxing. And certainly a lot of service personnel have, have made a note of that. So I wanted to dig a bit deeper and see how we could bring all of those elements that you said are so intrinsically linked together. And we've put a project together that is really capturing some hearts and minds. What we're realizing that instead of just the environment, we now can have a positive effect on mental health. And ultimately, that can have a cost saving to the NHS. Um, some, some figures, Martin, actually, that are astounding for me. And there's a recent document written by an ex-colonel, uh, Sally Coltard. She runs the Defence Garden um, scheme. And she has documented the fact that the amount of service leavers and current service personnel with mental health uh, figures is, has increased. I think it's 6% of current serving personnel and 17% of service leavers. And now that's down to society as a whole. We're quite open now instead of the old military mentality of suck it up princess and you know crack on. It, we're a little bit more open that we may be struggling or people may have an issue and need some help. And she's identified that nature-based therapies have a positive effect. And it also provides an angle whereby people don't necessarily need to go into or into an environment, a clinical environment where their, their mental health is assessed. They can be out amongst nature and there's not as much stigma attached to it. So yeah. that, that's been one of the second angles. And then ultimately, has, as this has unfolded, we now realize that we can put all of this together with some large scale planting and put a career path or a transition path for veterans into the real world and tackle the mental health issue, but also add a qualification, whether it's horticulture or tree surgery, into the mix. So it's been fascinating. And uh, you know, I go back to the days of um, 99 then playing rugby and, and to, to sit here now 20 years or so later, working in a completely different field is astounding. It's amazing how life unfolds. It is. I mean, a couple of observations from what you were just saying there, Andy, from my perspective is, you know, I went out yesterday, just yesterday with the family. I, my wife works down the hospital um, in Labour Ward, so she worked most of the bank holiday. So we, we took a day yesterday and we went to uh, North Yorkshire and we had a day out in the uh, in the forest. We we um, we did Falling Foss Waterfall, which was beautiful. It was amazing. And then we went over to Ravenscar um, on the coast near Whitby and we, we saw the seals and we climbed down a, a huge hill. And it was just a day out in nature. And you know what? Me and my wife both said yesterday evening, we need to do this more because the whole family was on a high. We had a fabulous day. We laughed. We joked. Uh, and when we got home last night, we were a bit sore and a bit, you know, from all of the walking and the trekking and the climbing. But... You know, we had a fantastic day and our mood was lifted and, I, and, I, and I've experienced that firsthand and we don't do it enough in modern day life. So I think there's there's definitely, um, and as we know, the science and the brain chemicals in the brain, you know, we release those feel good chemicals like serotonin and dopamine and oxytocin when we're out in nature with our loved ones enjoying ourselves. So, you know, it, it, there is there is the psychology behind it. And I think, 
you know, the other the other point I was going to make on the veterans piece is me and you have both transitioned from military life into civilian life quite successfully. But I think the, the major thing we did, Andy, is we did it years ago. And um, I can't remember how long you served. How long did you serve in total, Andy? What was your time? 13 years. So you did 13. Now, I did I did the minimum five, right? So I did a, a dog watch, really. But I did the minimum five. Now, I, I speak to a lot of veterans, and I've spoken to a lot of people who have transitioned over the years, you know, into, into the corporate world or the civilian world. And there seems to be a cutoff point. And I think you might have just got it right on 13 years. Anything over halfway... So 22 years is what you sign up for in the military. So anything over halfway, roughly 11, 12 years, tends to, the, the longer you stay in over halfway, the harder the transition. Does that make sense, Andy? Mm, totally. Because, because the more you become institutionalised, whereas if you get out anywhere up to halfway, it's like you've made the break at the right time where it's a little bit easier. It's not easy, but it's easier to make the transition. And I find that the most most of the people who struggle are the ones who have come to the end of their natural term. They've collected their lump sum and their pension. And they're still of an age, Andy, where they're maybe around 40 to 45 years old. And it's like, I've got a hell of a lot of working life left. What now? And I, and I find that they're the ones who struggle more with the transition. And I think if, if they're, I mean, you know, it's not an exact science because anybody can struggle, but if they're the ones that can get involved in a project like One Hole of a Forest to help them with the transition, to help them in those early days, then I think that's going to be a wonderful thing. Can I ask, Andy, are you asking, is this going to be purely on a volunteering basis for, for the veterans or is there, do they get paid for their work or how, is it, how does it tend to work? Well, that's, as it stands, um, we've been working closely or talking to Steve Kingdom at Hull Veterans who firsthand has experienced the, the benefits of uh, being in green spaces. Um, initially, what we're looking for is people to volunteer to come on the, sch the scheme once we get it launched, ultimately to get that qualification. But because of the, the aspects of what we're doing with the charity and all the carbon forestry projects, which are really um, capturing hearts and minds from a commercial aspect because of the drive to get to net carbon zero in the country by 2050, it will lead to employment opportunities. We're, we're talking to a number of companies now about some large-scale tree planting opportunities. So what I need to do in parallel to getting people trained, veterans trained, is pro provide that link for that transition so that they can be employed to go and do the horticulture or to go and do the tree surgery work and be paid to do tree planting. Um, I'm just going to change tack a little bit, Martin. What you see, whilst the government has announced that they want to plant 50 million trees across the northern forest over 25 years, the funding isn't necessarily there. And right. you'll see things, and I'm not casting aspersions on organisations at all, but you'll see adverts from the Woodland Trust which say, donate £1.50 to, to, uh, to get a tree or to donate for a tree. And that is the cost for a tree and a stake. Um, and the protection. In fact, it can be a lot higher than that if you're using Tubex. They're about pound fifty each. So that donation doesn't necessarily mean that tree goes in the ground. And we as an organization have been reliant on volunteers. And that's not sustainable. Not when you look at the Haywoods commitment, that's the Hull and East Yorkshire Woods, which is the community forest organization for this area. They've got a commitment under the Northern Forest to plant 1.2 million trees. 
Now, those trees don't jump in the ground themselves. So there needs to be from the grant making organizations, the need to facilitate the revenue on a cost per tree basis to pay people to do it, which is what I see yeah. happening. Now, if we're reliant 100% on grants, which we are, to and donations, sorry, to, to plant trees, then we struggle. We will struggle to pay people. But under the aspect now of the carbon forestry market and under the Woodland Carbon Code, companies have got a commitment to the lower their greenhouse gas emissions. Therefore, the revenue streams are potentially available to pay people to do this work. So there's quite a lot of... Um, I'll say loose ends at this stage, but we're on the right track to getting people employed in this sector. And with the advent of Brexit, I think you may have seen the Pick for Britain announcements by the government. There's a lot of opportunity, 70,000 roles within this sector, just for people on a, a temporary basis. I, I saw another article of quite a while back now with, um, I think it stated that overall within the agricultural, forestry and horticulture, sectors there will be a gap of 170,000 roles once we once we exit the EU so there, there is a yeah. path there is what, what I'm saying absolutely so a couple of questions Andy because it's fascinating for me one of the things I've found since coming out of the military and setting up my own business in and around the Hull and Humber in, in Yorkshire is uh, you know certainly in the Hull and Humber the, people stick together and that's the one thing I will say about this region. Sometimes we cut ourselves off from the outside, but we absolutely stick together when it comes to business. And I think that's a great thing about our region. Um, I'm guessing going forward is one of the plans for One Hull of a Forest to build relationships with those local businesses, the well-established businesses and the up-and-coming businesses and the great public sector organisations to sort of source partnerships and funding because as you rightly say, it's not there right now and it's unachievable and unsustainable unless there, there is an element of funding to be able to, to do this. So I think that's my first question, which you can answer in a second. Are you looking to partner organisations who can also support with the funding for the project, uh, as well as doing some of the great things that we've already discussed? And secondly, uh, planting all of these trees in the Hull and Humber area, I guess a lot of people are going to ask the same question I'm thinking right now. Where? Where the hell? I'm, I'm thinking like hundreds of thousands of trees, never mind millions. Where would you put them in Hull? But you've obviously got the idea of where it's all going to happen. Okay. Well, yes. So to answer your first question then, uh, partnering with organisations, we've done that already with a number of companies. And if the trees have been funded, they've paid then to have a, a, a volunteer team building day out planting trees. And it's, it's that's great. Um, I love we, that. Yeah, I love that idea. Whereby we've got an abundance of volunteers to plant trees. That's great. And corporates that want to get out. But obviously, we have to facilitate the day. So thankfully for us, organizations have been willing to say, well, look, we'll cover the co a cost per head, which helps cover our administration costs. But we've also, we've just recently, and this is hot off the press, we've just signed an MOU with uh, Hull College um, to support the One Hull of a Forest project. And we're, look, we're talking to various other organisations. One of them is the Living With Water Scheme, which is uh, a partnership with Yorkshire Water, Hull City Council, the Environment Agency and Hull and East Riding. They've got a flood resilience programme. Obviously, Hull is at risk. And one of the things we can do is plant trees upstream that will help with flood mitigation and flood resilience. So a lot of ongoing discussions on, on 
partnerships. But it does come down to um, organisations willing to, to, to go the extra mile from a CSR point of view. And that's difficult, especially in this COVID-19 and looking over the parapet post-COVID-19. The money isn't there for CSR. And that, that's an issue fundamentally for all charities and businesses. Now, where we've got an advantage here is what's called streamlined energy carbon reporting. There are now 18,000 companies that have to report their greenhouse gas emissions. Now, what that's leading to is the government taxing them in the future, analyzing a baseline of where they sit with their emissions and then pushing them to get down to a point in the future where they are at zero emissions. Now, that is nigh on impossible for quite a lot of companies. I'll give you an example. Um, MKM have got 99 facilities around the UK, or 69, moving to 99. They can't go to electric vehicles because they just simply can't travel. They don't have trucks that can carry bricks around the, the length and breadth of the country. Um, you know, the, these, these vans can only go a certain mileage and then they need to stop and recharge. So they will have a carbon footprint that they can't negate. Now, I'm not saying that trees are the only solution, but it is one solution that, that kills the two birds of one stone, the CSR angle, yep. but also will mitigate their greenhouse gas emissions. The trees can be used to remove carbon and they can use that under the Woodland Carbon Code against their greenhouse gas emissions and tax. They will be taxed in the future. You know? so, the, so the SECA regulation will dictate that I think it's 18,000 companies above a certain size are going to be taxed. In the, so that's one angle that we've got to, where we've got a benefit. Um, and I think that's a commercial yeah. angle there. Um, and come on to your second point, the land. You are right. Whilst um, Hull's, Hull's a sprawling city and it stretches into the East Riding, the focus has been within the city boundaries on the one hull of the forest project, but we are working further afield in the East Riding and projects on the South Bank. Um, quite a lot of options are popping up. So within the city, there are areas, some of them are council, some of them are private. And the last major tree planting was done by the Woodland Trust over a decade ago now uh, by Mark Feather. Mark's one of the Woodland officers for this region. And their report stated that there were 106 hectares of land available inside the whole area to plant trees. So a quick calculation, 2,000 trees a hectare gives us 200,000 trees, which is the target for one whole of a forest. But that's not to say that um, you know, there's numerous land opportunities outside. The issue we've got in the East Riding is the soil is very fertile. So it's arable land. It's good for food production. So it's a competing priority for a farmer is how much can I earn growing a crop and what will I get if I plant trees? Um, yeah. You know, a bit of a catch-22. There's a lot of discussion going on uh, way above my pay grade on some of these things, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. So the, so the land is there and identified and there's also other opportunities, like you said, from the flood protection angle. But it was a really interesting thing you said there. This is not just asking for charitable backing to do the right thing for one whole of a forest by local established businesses. This is actually, there is some commercial kickback for you in terms of the CSR down the line and, uh, and, and, and from a tax benefit perspective. Um, and for some companies who are struggling to do that, this could be a way of, um, of really uh, getting stuck into a project that makes a difference. Oh, yeah. yeah, I like that, mate. And, and, and in terms of, um, in terms of 
uh, veterans. You mentioned veterans getting involved from a transition perspective. Um, would you be just targeting local veterans, Andy? So veterans returning to the Hull and Humber area, or is it a national thing? What, what have you had any thoughts Ideally, about that? Ideally, the pilot scheme will will dovetail with what we're doing in this region. Well, I just come off a phone call this morning with a businessman who owns a golf course in Oxfordshire, and he he understood what we were doing with the veterans community and the carbon side. And I said, look, we'd be really interested to discuss a project in the south of England. So the, what I saw with Sally Coltard's project, the Defence Garden Scheme, she put the research together and was lo- looking at launching a pilot in Ireland and, and then the northwest of England. We're looking at a pilot in the East Riding area. But I think it's very quickly gathering momentum and would become a national scheme. And that's not to say it's a national scheme that we would roll out. Uh, we don't have this the depth to go that far but we will find partner organizations in the various different sectors of the uk that, that we can work with and say look here's the model it's not because this is not commercial there are commercial benefits from carbon and forestry for companies from a tax perspective but we're a charity so what we want to do is is create a workable model for veterans and businesses and the local communities that can be rolled out across the uk yeah, absolutely. Makes sense. Uh, just going to move it sideways a little bit, Andy. Might be a bit of a left field question, but um, one of the things, I mean, you'll probably know more about this than me, having lived out in the Far East for all of those years. But one of the innovative things certain countries have done in the Far East, like Singapore, uh, in Malaysia, etc., maybe Japan, is uh, they've got these forest, forest domes. They've got these um, rooftop forests where because space in busy central business districts is a, is a premium, they, they tend to go upwards and have forestry and plantation on roofs and in domes and all sorts of stuff to try and still create that effect. I mean, is that unachievable in a place like Hull? Is it too far-fetched? Could it work? Do you believe in them? You know, what's your uh, thoughts on that? Interesting and very topical. Hull College uh, are also talking along these lines at the moment with a project they're working on. We're not party to this, but we were certainly aware of it, called Green in the Grey. And there are options for the, the college, the, the architecture of the college to be tra- changed into a, gr- a green structure that, where the plants and gardens can be put on the roofs and on the walls and changing as you come up to the, the statue, I think it's a Wilberforce, William Wilberforce statue, as you come up to that, they can change that into a green area. I think that the whole... Queen's Gardens is going to be redeveloped. So uh, to answer your question, yes, it can be done in Hull. And yes, it's been demonstrated overseas and it can work. You just have to really adopt a different attitude to how we do things and and create this green architecture and living spaces. There was a project um, tabled by Lucy Dunhill a while ago to do the same down White Frigate. Um, I think the council yeah. may have picked that project up. I'm not sure if Lucy's involved in it now, but you know the, the options are there, providing the people doing the town planning and the building think about this in an early stage. Yeah, and you think about the um, you think about the, um, the the space on top of rooftops, you know, from in Hull that you could probably use if if and, and it would take a bit of investment and innovation. But you're looking at St Stephen's, you look at the train station, Paragon Station. You know, you look at the new Hilton Hotel, you look at a lot of these uh, rooftops with vast spaces uh, where you could easily achieve that. I mean, I know we're talking about, um, you know, putting solar panels on roofs to try and create renewable energy. But 
there'd just be an, a just as much environmental um, benefit from putting forestry on rooftops, right? And I think that's the type of thing that potentially going forward as space does run out, that we're going to have to do as we continue to, to tackle this issue. You, you're um, so not, why you're not, not right, and I think we've got the built environment. The advantage we've got in, in a city like Hull is what's called ribbon development. The city expands outwards. And because of the population density, we're not on top of each other and needing to build up as such. So we do have those green spaces outside. But I think there's an annual shortage in the UK of one million homes. So we're going to constantly see more properties popping up. And that's where yeah. we need to consider the environment and not damage what's already there. And put if we do take something down, put it back. Now, that is not always... It, as easy as it sounds um whole city council actually have got a supplementary planning document which stays that states that for every new dwelling a developer should plant three trees on that site if not on that site then they need to plant them somewhere else now that has been tabled as best practice in the uk and hopefully other councils will follow suit but the definitive there is that the developer sometimes can't always put those trees on his development and not everybody wants trees in their gardens. So the, there's got to be a bit of a compromise and, and support projects like ours where we can find locations and plant those trees. But it's, it's, it's good to see a focus on these things and people taking them into due consideration. Absolutely. You said something earlier, Andy, that, um, that sort of I wrote down uh, on, on my page as, as we were speaking. Uh, you said around... When we linked it back to, to uh, improving mental health and an opportunity for people to get out in nature and, and, and plant trees and improve their mental health, you talked about team building days out. Now, as you know, here at T2, we do a lot of team building days for, for our clients and we, we always take them outside for the team building. So we, we either hire Beverly Race Course, for example, and we, we put them through a series of old, style, old school military cognitive command tasks and it's mixed with classroom-based learning and problem solving as a team building exercise and, and there's various other things that we that go on in the corporate world in terms of off-site team building where they go out to forest and they've got to build a catapult in a, an allotted time and the winning team you know is the one who has the most functional catapult and there's all of these wonderful different uh, types of experiences but it really struck a chord with me because going out uh, from a corporate perspective to do some team building but genuinely doing something fantastic like planting trees instead of just building something or you know having a good time i think there could be something in that you know i think there could be something in that which uh and and even if you've got certain groups of employees who are who are open and honest about the fact that they struggle with mental health for example that could be a better way of uh, developing those people rather than sending them to a classroom to, to talk about managing mental health so I think you're onto something there, and I, and I think it's something me and you should explore further outside of this conversation. But I think that's the opportunity for companies to to sort of participate in the process as a team building, stroke development opportunity, as well as doing great, as well as reducing, um, you know, the stuff yeah, you were talking about. Yeah, there's a real win-win angle there for for the major companies, the large companies that have got to look at their carbon offsetting schemes. They've got the ability here to create a woodland that will service their financial requirements from a tax perspective, but create a CSR project that's not just to benefit for their employees, but will also benefit the community at large. And if their employees can be involved in the building of it, 
they can badge it, they can name it, and it becomes their woodland area. And their staff have got that benefit of getting out amongst nature. I, I think um, having lived in Bangkok and worked for 12 years in Bangkok, you know, you get outside, it's a concrete jungle. I really noticed the difference when we got out in the forest. And I think that's what you, you sort of need here as well. Sometimes if you work in an environment from a company point of view, it's the iceberg effect. You, you don't see the benefit of an employee going out into a green space, but actually the, the reduction in stress, um, anxiety, possibly depression, it, the, the, the benefits are, are massive. And I think the more companies we can get involved in that, the better as long as they understand what's going on in the mindset and behind the scenes. Yeah, absolutely. Love that, mate. Love that. Before we wrap this up, Andy, because we've been on 13, almost 35 minutes already and I could talk to you all day long. Um, so I'm going to ask you for any final sort of uh, thoughts or any final points that you want to make before we, uh, before we finish the podcast and we'll maybe get on and do another at some point. But um the one thing I just want to sort of wrap up in terms of what I've learned and observed in here today is I think this is a fantastic opportunity. Uh, one Hull of a Forest, you know, check it out. You have got a website as well, haven't you, Andy? So people can check it out online. Um, so, you know, but for me, it's about doing great in the environment. It's about fighting for a cause that's worth fighting for, for, for us, for the, our future of our companies, our, our children, etc. cetera. Uh, it's an opportunity to not only achieve that, but to also get veterans involved who are struggling traditionally with either transitioning from the military or, or who suffer with mental health, get them involved, which would be a, a fantastic um, thing to do as well. And also for organisations, and I want to reiterate that last point, for me, it's not just about that. For organisations who, and believe me, I see this firsthand, Andy, who are spending hundreds of thousands, if not millions of pounds on tackling mental health in the workplace, you know, we, the, we we can go to uh, classroom-based training. We can send our managers for, for mental health first aid training. You know, we can have all of these different initiatives in, in the organisation to try and improve well-being. But this could be a really effective different way of getting involved in something that gets your people out, gets them contributing and improves mental health and well-being in, in the form of planting trees and, and being out in greenery. And I think that's where organisations should really look at this. Yes, there's the commercial aspect that you talked about, Andy, and I think that's important. But really, the driver for it is the opportunity to really make a difference for their employees and for the for the local environment going forward. So I think it's fantastic. Andy, do you just want to, before you give any final points, do you just want to uh, read out where people can contact you, find out more? Have you got a website? Is there an email address, social media, etc.? just so... If people listen to this, yeah, want to sure. Reach out to website, which is Pat Foundation, P-A-T-T, foundation.org. And we're active on social media. There's, um, there's Pat Foundation on Facebook, on Instagram and Twitter, and also the same for the One Hull of a Forest Project. So people can reach out on any of those platforms and usually find its way back to me. Awesome. Awesome. Any final um, points, I think Andy? you summed it up quite succinctly, Martin. You covered all the aspects. I think the <laughs> one thing that I will add is that you know we, we really do need to respect the environment and, and understand the benefits. And you mentioned it yourself at the weekend. You've gone out with your family. And the most important thing to take from that is it's free. You know, if you're going off your own back to do some things, it doesn't cost you anything. And the benefits to, to you, to your kids and the community at large in doing this uh, are astronomical and we need to really put a focus on it, especially coming out of uh, the lockdown situation. I think we really need to 
appreciate what we've got and enhance it. Awesome. Couldn't have said it better. Andy Steele, I could have talked to you for hours, mate. That was fantastic. Thanks for coming on. Um, I will publish this out onto the T2 Hub for our customers. We'll also publish it out onto our social media streams. Andy, you can have a copy as well for to send out wherever you like. And hopefully people will listen and it will drive some conversation. So, Andy Steele, Appreciate thank it, you Martin. very much, Speak mate. Speak to you soon. Uh, speak to you soon and we'll be back shortly with...